We'll have it on the screen behind us, Psalm 106. Chris Cheng will be bringing the word today from this psalm. It's a long psalm, so we'll take sections of it. And as you know, the psalms are prayers, but different kinds of prayers. There's praise, there's supplication, there's confession, and we see all of this uh, in Psalm 106. I'll read the red, and if you will read the black, please. Praise the Lord. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord? Blessed are they who observe justice. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones. And then confession. Both we and our fathers have sinned. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. And then God delivered them. Yet he saved them for his name's sake. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. So he saved them from the hand of the foe. And the waters covered their adversaries. Then they believed his words. And then what happened? They forgot God. But they soon forgot his works. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness. He gave them what they asked. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord... and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. They made it, they made a calf in Horeb. They exchanged the glory of God. They forgot God, their Savior. And then jumping to the end of the psalm. Deliver us, save us. Save us, O Lord, our God. That we may give thanks to your holy name. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting.
everyone together. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. I think you can do better than that. Let's do the last verse in blue. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Chris. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope all of you had a great weekend uh, spending time with family and friends as we celebrated this time, this season of giving thanks. But during this weekend, I wonder how many of your thoughts strayed to wondering why it is that we give thanks and celebrate Thanksgiving to begin with. For those of us who grew up in the U.S., sorry, Uh, let's see if we can get this working. There we go. For those of us who grew up in the U.S., we learn about the pilgrims. The pilgrims came on this boat from England and landed at Plymouth Rock. And at Plymouth, they met a Native American named Tisquantum, or Squanto. And Squanto taught them how to farm. He taught them how to survive the winter. And he served as a mediator for them between the local Wampanoag tribe and the pilgrims. And it's... And this set the stage, basically, for this feast in 1621, this feast where both pilgrims and Native Americans came together and celebrated the recent harvest. This picture of this feast is what many of us think of when we think about why we celebrate Thanksgiving. But for Native Americans, Thanksgiving isn't a weekend of celebration. The fourth Thursday of November to Native Americans in New England is known as the National Day of Mourning. Because to Native Americans, the arrival of the pilgrims is thought of differently. The arrival of the pilgrims represents symbolically the beginning of their people's suffering. Even though the Wampanoag tribe and the pilgrims had half a century of peace, this peace brought increasing waves of European settlers uh, from England, from Spain, elsewhere, to North America increasing waves of settlers that took over the land of the Native Americans, waves of settlers that persecuted the Native Americans. And so for them, Thanksgiving has a totally different connotation, a connotation of suffering. And so this brings us to our main question for today. Why do we give thanks? Why do we as Christians give thanks? Why and how Do we give thanks when we have something to celebrate, like a feast? When we're going through suffering, why, or is it even possible to give thanks? Well, we see in our psalm the answer to this question, as as the psalm brings us even further back into history. In verse 1, we read, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And the psalm goes on to talk about the importance of thanksgiving. The psalm traces through the history of Israel. And we learn that we must give thanks to God for what he has done. That we need to be grateful for his provision. That we ought to strive to give thanks in all circumstances, like Pastor Jeff preached last week. And we'll see that if we give thanks to God for his faithful love, then we will walk faithfully in him. 
But what exactly are we supposed to give thanks for exactly? I mean, what does it mean when verse 1 says to give thanks for God's goodness and love? How did God show Israel his goodness and love? How does God show us today his goodness and love? Well, the love referred to in verse 1 isn't just any kind of love. The psalm testifies to a faithful love, an enduring love, a love that's based on something sure, something secure, something unshakable, something unchangeable. It's like the love of a husband for a wife that's going through a prolonged terminal disease as the husband stands by her. Or it's like the love of a mom for her wayward son as she perseveres in hoping for the son to return. Or it's like the love of a close friend that sticks by our side even though we might have betrayed their confidence. In this psalm, we discover that, God, that we give thanks to God for his faithful love, a faithful love shown to us in his deliverance and mercy. So, for example, if we take a look at verse 13 through 15, which we just read, verse 13, or, or actually, sorry. Um, so, for example, after, after this first verse, um, what happens after the psalm goes on to talk about how Israel was delivered from the armies of Pharaoh at the Red Sea. Some of you guys might know this story, right? See, Israel had been enslaved by Egypt, and Israel cried out to God, and God answered their cries and sent ten plagues on Egypt, plagues like turning the Nile River into blood, a plague of frogs, a plague of locusts, a plague of hail, and on and on, you get the idea. And because of these plagues, God was showing his power over the so-called God, gods of Egypt. And because of these plagues, Pharaoh ultimately let God's people go. But in Exodus chapter 14, Pharaoh had a change of heart. Pharaoh decided that he wanted his slaves back. And so he started pursuing after Israel. He started chasing after them with his army. And so Israel now is caught in the middle. On one side, you have Pharaoh's armies coming and approaching, about to attack them and capture them. And on the other side, there's this big body of water, and they're trapped. And Israel starts to panic. They lose faith in God. They don't believe that God will save them. They they probably don't even believe that God can save them. This despite having seen how God had delivered them miraculously from Egypt. This despite the miraculous pillars of fire and of cloud that had been with them every single second and on their journey since they left Egypt. And yet, even though Israel doubted, God still delivered them. God separated the seas and Israel walked through on dry land. We see in verses Uh, we see in verses 8 and 12 that that God didn't do this because of the response of Israel. God did this for his name's sake. God did this so that his power would be made known. God did this so that Israel would believe his promises. If Israel's deliverance had been predicated on their own faith, they would have been totally wiped out because they doubted. They didn't believe that God would save them. And yet, God still saved them. Why? Because God's deliverance was based on something more sure, was based on his namesake, was based on the promises that he had made to Israel, the promises that he had made to Israel's forefathers. And so we give thanks to God for his faithful deliverance shown to us because of his love.
And God has shown us his faithful love in his deliverance and mercy through Jesus. Because while we were still sinners, God came to this earth in Jesus and took on our brokenness, took on our suffering. He took on who we were in our humanity, in our weakness, in our poverty, in our finiteness. While we were still broken, while we had turned our backs on God and made him our enemies, turned our backs on relationship with God, Jesus died for us. Jesus came to this world, was born, he lived, he died, and he resurrected so that we could be delivered from the power of death. Jesus embraced suffering for us, us who had turned our backs on him so that we could be healed, so that he could make us whole again. And so we see that if we give thanks, and, and, so, and, and so we give thanks to God for his deliverance. But the thing is, it's so easy to forget why it, what it is that God has done for us. It's so easy to take for granted that Christ came, that Christ died, that Christ was resurrected all on our behalf. Just like Israel at the Red Sea, we forget that God had done these amazing miracles in the past when we're faced with something in the present. It, it reminds me of a, a story that I heard of Dr. Lewis Smedes. So Dr. Lewis Smedes was a, was a 20th century Reformed theologian. He was a theologian that one day suddenly felt ill, and he was at death's door. The doctors gave him about a 5% chance of survival. And yet, miraculously, he recovered. And upon recovery, his doctor told him what had happened, told him that he, he had just barely escaped death, and his response was this nonchalant, oh yeah? That's terrific, doctor. You see, Dr. Smeeds was taking his life for granted. He took his life so much for granted that being delivered from this disease that he didn't even realize he had wasn't even registering with him. It wasn't until two days later that the full impact of his healing uh, was felt by him. And he writes, I was seized with a frenzy of gratitude, possessed. I blessed the Lord for the almost unbearable goodness of being alive on this good earth, in this good body, at the present time. He continues, it was then I learned that gratitude is the best feeling I would ever have, the ultimate joy of living. It was better than sex, better than winning the lottery, better than watching your daughter graduate from college, better and deeper than any other feeling. Like Dr. Smeeds, we have been rescued from our brokenness. We have been delivered from death. And so let's give thanks to God for his faithful love to us, shown to us in his deliverance and mercy. So we know what we can be thankful for. And yet we said earlier, if we give thanks to God for his faithful love, then we will walk faithfully in him. What does thanksgiving have to do with walking faithfully? Isn't Thanksgiving more about, you know, looking back at what's happened and being thankful? And isn't walking faithfully about what's going on in the future? What does the past have to do with the future? Well, in verses 2 and 3, we see that Thanksgiving enables us to walk faithfully in righteousness. 
Giving thanks is one tool that God has given us by which we can respond justly. Verse 2 asks the rhetorical question, who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? In other words, who can even speak of what God has done? Who can talk of what God has done and therefore give thanks to God and praise God for those things? The response is, it's those who act justly, those who do what is right. In other words, the righteous are the ones who can give thanks. But which comes first, righteousness or giving thanks? Do we have to first be righteous in order to be qualified to give thanks to God? Or is thanksgiving something by which, something that leads us towards the the process of righteousness? Based on the rest of the psalm, I think we can make the argument that thanksgiving is what is one thing that enables us to walk faithfully in righteousness. For example, if we look at verses 13 and 15, verses 13 and 15 summarize the story in Numbers 11. In Numbers 11, Israel has just left Mount Sinai. For almost a year, they've been camped out around this mountain where God has given them this law, and they've been waiting, they've been, they've been seeing the smoke, the trumpets, the fire, and they've been waiting. And now they're finally getting ready to go, and they're ready to, to walk and make progress towards the promised land. They've seen how God has rescued them in Egypt doing all these miracles. They've seen how God has protected them from their enemies. They've seen how God has provided for them with bread from heaven. And yet, they're not happy. They're not satisfied. They start to complain and grumble that the food that they had back when they were slaves is better than what they have right now. It reminds me of when I was a kid, and I would complain about how my mom would always cook Chinese food when all I really wanted was Italian. <laughs> or it's, I'm sure some of your parents can relate to that as your kids whine about food, younger kids. Or it's like, you know, someone receiving a PlayStation 4 and being like, well, you know, what would really make me happy is a Nintendo Switch. Or it's like someone who's gotten really bored of driving this perfectly reliable Toyota Camry thinking, you know, I really want something new and exciting. Something like, I don't know, a Porsche or Mercedes or, 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 or an Audi. Israel wasn't thankful for what they had. And as a result, they started to complain and grumble about what they wanted. But what's so bad about complaining? I mean, is complaining about food really that bad of a sin? And we saw in verses 13 to, 13 to 15 in Numbers 11 that the response of this complaining was that God sent punishment, and a punishment that was fire and plague. I mean, that seems like a lot, considering that all they were doing was saying, well, I I really want some lobster, you know. That seems kind of harsh. What is terrible about complaining? Well, you see, complaining indicated the attitude of their hearts. In their complaining and grumbling, they were basically saying, God, we don't need you. God, we know better than you. God, we know how to take care of ourselves better than you. God, we don't think you're trustworthy enough to do what is best for us. In the end, their complaining was basically kind of like an act of rebellion as they turned their back on God. And this act of rebellion becomes more overt in verses 16 through 18, which refer to the story in number 16. In number 16, a group of Levites revolts against the authority of Moses and Aaron. 
Moses and Aaron, who God had placed to be in charge of the people of Israel. Now, this isn't to say that Moses and Aaron were perfect, right? Because we, we can look at other stories in the Bible and see that they had their shortcomings. What number 16 is pointing to is that for these Levites, they had grown dissatisfied with the important roles that God had given them in serving as the priests and serving as the ones who, who were responsible for the rituals, uh, ritual worship and ritual sacrifice in the society of Israel. They had grown dissatisfied with these important roles, and they wanted more. In their envy of Moses and Aaron, they revolted against God and selfishly wanted more power and authority because they were not thankful for what God had given them, because they took for granted what God had given them, they turned their backs on God. Without thanksgiving and remembrance, we're tempted to try to take things into our own hands. Now, we can take the converse of this statement. And if we take the converse of this statement, we'll find that thanksgiving enables us to walk faithfully in righteousness. It enables us to resist temptation. Now, I recognize that the converse isn't logically true. You know, if A, then B doesn't mean that if not A, then not B. But in this case, I think that we can, we can take the leap and say that thanksgiving isn't just a necessary requirement for being righteous. That based on the stories that we see, thanksgiving is a means by which we can be righteous. For example, let's say our struggle is with materialism or consumerism. Let's say we're always trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, let's say that we're always uh, trying to, to find happiness in the next, next uh, new electronic toy, maybe a new wardrobe, maybe a new home renovation. Maybe that's what we're looking for, for happiness. In answer to materialism, what Thanksgiving tells us is Thanksgiving reminds us of how God has given us everything that we have. And in Thanksgiving... We can be grateful for what God has given us and not be tempted by inordinate desire. Being grateful for God's provision prevents us from becoming, being tempted by being envious. Thanksgiving reminds us of the glorious riches that we have in Jesus Christ, reminds us of the joy that we have access to, which satisfies, the peace that we have that transcends understanding, the love that never fails. Or maybe our struggle is with pride. Maybe we put a lot of our self-worth into our own accomplishments or lack thereof. Or maybe we gave to give too much weight to our own opinion. In answer to pride, being thankful for what God has given us reminds us of our dependence on God. Thanksgiving inherently helps us to stay humble. Being thankful for the deliverance that we have in Jesus gives us the confidence in our self-worth of what God has given us that we can be quick to listen, quick to understand, slow to speak. So if we're thankful, we can resist the temptation to turn away from God. If we're grateful, we can resist the temptation towards sinful or excessive desire. If we give thanks to God, for what we have in Jesus, then the joy that we have gives us the strength to have faith in what God has done and what God will do. If I take a C.S. Lewis metaphor and flip it, it's like if we're thankful for the holiday that we have at the sea that we have in, in God, then we won't be tempted to go back to the slums in order to make mud pies. 
Thanksgiving enables us to walk faithfully in righteousness. And so we see that, we've seen that we give thanks for God's faithful love shown in his deliverance and mercy. We've seen that Thanksgiving enables us to walk in righteous, faithfully in righteousness. And yet, what if we're going through difficult circumstances? What if things are really tough for us right now? What if we're looking around and we just can't think of anything to be thankful for? Maybe we've just bombed a final exam or bombed the SAT. Maybe we've recently lost a job. Maybe we're struggling with broken relationships or the loss of a loved one. In the midst of this, how can Thanksgiving be a solution when we're just struggling to stay afloat? Well, we also see in this psalm that Thanksgiving enables us to walk faithfully through trials. This seems a little counterintuitive, right? I mean, if we're struggling with trials, what is there to be thankful for? We've all kind of been told about the power of positive thinking, but realistically, you know, what good is being thankful if that Thanksgiving isn't going to change our circumstances, isn't going to change the results of our test, isn't going to get our job back, isn't going to fix our relationships or bring our loved ones back? What can Thanksgiving do? This is kind of the sentiment that we see in verse 47. Verse 47, we see that there's this call to gather us from the nations. And we learn there that the context of this psalm was one in which it was written during Israel's exile. In 586 BC, Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem. The the people of Israel were defeated by a foreign power and they were taken into exile to Babylon. Israel was in danger of losing their identity. They had been scattered all around the Babylonian Empire, taken into captivity, as they were forced to be subservient to foreign power. In a situation like this, it's pretty natural to respond with lament, as Pastor Jeff also mentioned last week. And we see the exiles responding with lament. In Psalm 44, the exiles scream out to God, Awake, Lord! Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. And verse 47 shares the sentiment as the psalmist cries out to God, Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. The psalmist is basically asking God, bring us back to our motherland. Rescue us from our captivity. We're suffering here, God. You know, we need you to rescue us and deliver us so that we can give thanks to you, God, once that's happened. They're crying out for a reason to be thankful. And yet, if we go back to verse 1, The psalmist isn't just saying to his readers to be thankful in the future once God has delivered them from their oppression. The psalmist is saying to give thanks to the Lord right now, even while they're still in captivity, even while they're still being oppressed, even while they're still suffering. How can this be? 
Well, we get a little bit of glimpse, a clue to this in the last verse, where we see this call for all of God's people to say, Amen. We just screamed that vigorously earlier. Amen. But what does this word amen mean? Why do we say amen at the end of our prayers? Why when, you know, there's some speaker up, up top and he says something that you agree with, do people from, from the crowd shout, give shouts of amen? What does amen mean? Well, amen has its roots in a Hebrew verb that has connotations of faithfulness and trustworthiness. And so if someone says something and I say amen, what I'm basically saying is that what's been said is trustworthy and true. Or when we say amen at the end of our prayers, what we're affirming is our faith in God, our faith that God has heard our prayers, our faith that God will answer our prayers. And so in some ways, the psalmist is almost saying that we can give thanks now because of what God has done in the past, but we can also give thanks because we trust that God will deliver us, because we have a faith that God is with us, that God has not forgotten us, that God is feeling our suffering even as we're going through it. Some of you might know uh, that during my sophomore year of college, I went through a nearly year-long period of depression. For much of my second year of undergrad, I wanted God to take my life from me. Now, my fear of the unknown prevented me from actually attempting suicide, but I was distraught enough that I wanted to die. I was struggling with my self-identity. I was struggling with my self-worth. I was struggling with finding any kind of purpose or meaning for my life. Now, in the end, God delivered me from this depression, not, not through anything that I did. And yet there's still times where I suffer through minor, shorter bouts of mild depression. In fact, as I started preparing for this sermon three weeks ago, I was feeling a little bit down. But as I studied Psalm 106, I saw God's call to give thanks. And as I give, th- gave th- <clears throat> excuse me, as I give thanks to God, I remembered how he had delivered me in the past. I remembered how God's presence is with me in the present, even when I can't feel it. And that gave me the confidence and the trust that God is with me and God will deliver me in the future. Now, this isn't to diminish that God uses other means to bring us through our trials. If you're currently going through a prolonged period of depression, I want to encourage you to seek counseling. Because God uses counseling. God uses therapy. God uses medication. And there's nothing shameful about those things because God, through those things, God can deliver us. If you're in the throes of depression, I want to encourage you to reach out for help. And if you don't know who to reach out for help to, please contact one of our pastors or one of our elders and they can help guide you in the right direction. But for me, as I was preparing for this sermon, In the spirit of amen, I saw how giving thanks was a way of reminding me of what God has done, was a way of reminding me that God is still with me, was a way of reminding me that God will deliver me even from these dumps, minor dumps that I have right now, and that I don't have to stay in them. It's like, it's like having gone through multiple tunnels in the past, right? 
And so when you go through a tunnel, you know there's a light at the end, and you can give thanks that there's light at the end, even when you can't see it. It's like you've had the stomach flu before. So when you're in the throes of the stomach flu and you're wrenching and, it's in, and you're in pain and it feels like it's never going to end, you can be thankful because you know that in a day or two, it'll be over. It's like being thankful that a pilot is going to lead your plane home even while you're going through some horrendous turbulence, even while touchdown seems like an eternity away. I was on a flight recently and I just thought it would never end and I thought I was going to throw up all over the place. But I knew that the pilot would eventually bring us back. It's like taking hope in that, knowing that because God has delivered us in the past, because God has given us Christ, that he is with us now and he will bring us deliverance. Now, God isn't necessarily going to deliver us in the way that we want or the way that we expect. But thanksgiving gives us the faith. Thanksgiving gives us the hope. Thanksgiving gives us the security so that we can walk faithfully with him through trials. And so we've seen that God, God's faithful love is something that we can give thanks for as, as it's shown to us in his deliverance and mercy. Thanksgiving enables us to walk faithfully in righteousness and thanksgiving enables us to walk faithfully through trials. But what does it look like tangibly and practically to give thanks? How can we develop a heart of gratitude so that we can grow in perseverance, so that we can grow in walking faithfully, so that we can grow and be people who trust in God in all circumstances? Well, last week, Pastor Jeff gave gave us a practical way of doing so. He talked about the idea of taking five minutes each day, taking five minutes each day, and thinking of three things that we're grateful for. And I want to encourage you, this week, you know, let's make it time-bound, because if, if we think about this idea, sometimes if we think about this idea of to, to infinity, you know, every day doing the same thing, it, it can feel a little bit hopeless, because we know that, we're, we, that we fail. We know that we, we, we just can't do things, right? We can't do things consistently. We, we're weak, and we often have a lack of self-discipline. And I'm talking about myself when I say this. <laughs> And so let's just, one thing that we can do is let's set a goal this week of each day taking five minutes and thinking of three things that we're thankful for. And during this period of five minutes, consider the different ways in which what God has done in delivering you from sin and death in Jesus Christ has impacted you. If you're a parent of young children, try incorporating this into your nighttime routine. In your nighttime family worship or time of prayer, encourage your kids, ask them, what are you thankful for? And build this into your discipline of prayer. If you're in youth group right now, rope along your siblings and your parents. Encourage each other with your thanksgiving. I know this isn't easy, you know, especially especially when we're struggling through things, right? If we're struggling through depression or if we're struggling through other trials in life. Sometimes, you know, the only thing that you feel like you can give thankful for is this cognitive notion that Jesus has died for you. And yet sometimes that's what we have to cling to in order to walk faithfully through those trials. And so I'll encourage you this week, each day, take some time and give thanks. And when the week is over, Try for a second week. 
And when that second week is over, try it for a third. And if you miss a day, there's mercy. Pick it up the next day and give thanks to God. I'll, t- I'll do this along with you. I'll commit to doing it too with my lack of discipline. Because we see in the psalm that if we give thanks to God for his faithful love, then we will walk faithfully in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for what you have given us in Christ. For delivering us from our brokenness, from death, for saving us even though we were rebellious towards you. For having mercy on us that we can walk faithfully in you. We thank you, God, that you are with us today even if we don't feel like it, even if things seem terrible, even if we're struggling, that you have promised that you will not leave us until the end of this age and that your presence is with us. And we thank you, God, that we have hope for the future, that we can have a confidence that ultimately you will deliver us. So in the meanwhile, God, help us to be thankful people. Help us to be thankful so that we can trust you more and more in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.